All right, well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. We're talking about the knowledge of God today, to know God and to be pleasing to Him. That's the, the title of this message. It doesn't roll off the, the lips, but <clears throat> it's very straightforward and it's extremely significant. It's the knowledge of God is the most important thing in this life. I want you to soak that in for a second. That's not an overstatement. <clears throat> the knowledge of God, to know Him intellectually and to know Him firsthand, to know Him relationally, to know Him savingly. That's the most important thing. That's the most important knowledge we could have in this life. We must have it. We must have it and share it, quite frankly. You know, years ago, right before we moved here to California, so it was a little over four years ago, I was on staff as a pastor there in Tennessee, and when I came out here, I was just going to be a volunteer serving as a, as a youth pastor, and so I was uh, looking to get back into the trade, so I, uh, I had been a welder before, so I thought I would try to advance my welding a little bit, so I went to get certified in TIG welding, and if you know anything about welders, I mean, they can be a rough crowd, especially in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, the Appalachians, we call them, and so... I was there with a pretty rough group of guys, and, uh, you know, one, one young guy in particular, you know, he just kept saying GD and, you know, Jesus' name as a, as a cuss word frequently. And, you know, I don't usually give folks a, a hard time for, for language and stuff like that. I just don't. But uh, this was um, starting to agitate me a little bit. So I went up to the guy. I said, you know, you keep saying that name. I said, I know him. Do you want to meet him? Well, he, like, tensed up and gave me this really weird look, and it finally dawned on me that he probably thought that was a death threat. But I was just trying to tell the guy in a roundabout way that you can know Jesus, you can know him, and I can introduce you to him. And that's a very important reality. We can know God. God can be known. It's actually called the knowability of God. There is so much that we can know about God that has been revealed to us, namely through His Scriptures, through the Word of God, through the Bible. But not only that, we can know Him relationally. Now, we can't know everything there is to know about God because He's infinite. He's eternal, and we are finite. And so we can't know everything there is, but there is a lot that we can know. And so it's important for us as, as those who have trusted Christ to, to always be seeking to grow in the knowledge of God. And if you don't know God at all, if you are outside of God's blessing, then you can know Him personally, and you can know Him as your Father. You can be forgiven in Him. You can have new life in, in Christ, and that, that is all bound up in the knowledge of God. To know God and to live for Him is the highest goal and prize of the Christian life. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said, that I may know Him that is to know Him experientially and the power of His resurrection, to have the power of God in His life and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Verse 14, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's goal, was to know Christ, to know Him more, and to press towards that that relationship and that knowledge in this life. So the knowledge of God is the most important thing, but I would add to that the correct knowledge of God is actually of utmost importance because there's a lot of stuff out there in the world being put forth about God that's absolutely incorrect. And so the, the true truth, that's what we're after. That's what we need. A.W. Tozer said it like this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a true statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say that our worship to God is either pure or it is base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most sobering fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Our perspective, our perception of who God is. He goes on to say that we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of individual Christians, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. 
we all tend to have some sort of idea of what God is, our own mental image of God. And oftentimes he looks an awful lot like us. You know, that's, that's idolatry, and that's a very dangerous thing. And so we can have very skewed perceptions of who God is and what God is like, and we naturally do that. Apart from God's revealed truth, we will create a God that looks and sounds and acts just like we do, and he actually exists to serve us. He exists to do our bidding. And so Tozer is making the point that we need to have an accurate understanding of the truth of God and who he is. It's the most important thing about us. And when I had first read this years ago, it was like a light bulb moment for me because I, I had some misconceptions about God. You know, my, my mental image, my, my natural bent, and I don't know why this is, was that God is just displeased with me. He's just disappointed in me, let down with me, you know. And that I know he loves me because he's God, but he doesn't like me very much. And so that's just not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and that's a kind of a performance-based relationship. On my good days, when I've done everything right, then maybe God loves me. Maybe God's okay with me. And on my struggling days, maybe God doesn't love me so much. Maybe he's not okay with me. And I had to come to grips with what the Bible actually says about God and how God is, and how I should relate with Him, and understand how, how God sees me, right? And so we need to know biblical truth about God. We want to live biblical lives, pleasing lives to God. And that's what God wants for us, and we can do it through Christ. We can know God, we can know His will, and we can live lives that are pleasing to Him. We can have that in Christ. Now, that's Paul's prayer here. These three verses that we're going to look at, that's what Paul's getting at. He wants the Christians there in Colossae to know God and to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that's my prayer for, for Calvary Napa. That's my prayer for me, for my family, for us here, for this church, that we would know God, that we would know Him according to Scripture, that we would know Him accurately, that we would know Him relationally, personally, intimately, and that we would take that knowledge and then turn that into how we live for God, that that would affect and form the way that we live. And that's really consistent throughout the New Testament writings. So much of the, the books in the New Testament start with who is God, right? What has God done? And then usually it ends with, so then how should we live our lives? You see that. It's very consistent in the way that these books are laid out. So right thinking leads to right living, Right? And that's what we're essentially getting at today. So two parts here in these three verses, two main points. The first is the necessity of the knowledge of God, the necessity of it. It's everything. We must have it. The second part of the outline is the goal of the knowledge of God, and that is to please Him. That's the goal. So let me read our text, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dig in. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us, that you've opened our eyes and our hearts, God, that you've allowed us to see you, God, to see your glory, and that we've been transformed by it, Lord, through a saving knowledge of your Son. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word, you've preserved it, and here we are today with our own copy that we're able to study and to, to learn and I pray, God, that you would help us today, Lord, remove distraction. I know it's cold out here, Father, and I, who, who knows what kinds of issues everyone has come in here today with, but I just pray, Father, that you would clear our hearts and our minds, open our eyes and our ears, that we would hear and see glorious truth, that we would fall more in love with you, and that you would empower us, God, to be able to obey you, because we love you, God, because we love you. So please speak through me, God. Use me for your glory and help me in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go. 
to know God and to be pleasing to Him. Point number one, the necessity of the knowledge of God, and that is who He is and what He wants. We talk about the knowledge of God. Who is God? What's His nature, character, and what does He want? What is His will? All right, verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul says, since we heard, we have not ceased to pray. So remember, Paul is writing to Christians in a place called Colossae. He's not there. He's in Rome on house arrest. And he's never been there, in fact. And he didn't plant this church. And so a guy from that church, Epaphras, made his way out to Rome and told Paul about everything that was going on there. And Paul was floored. And he said, you know what? I praise God for your faith. Remember we talked about that? Their faith in Christ, their love for the saints, and that the, the hope that they had that was laid up for them in heaven through the gospel. And so Paul said, when I heard that, when I found that out, I did not cease to pray for you. So you feel the urgency here. I haven't ceased praying for you from the time that I heard this. Paul felt this deeply, a love and a concern. And so he turned to prayer. That was the most powerful and helpful thing that he could have possibly done. And that's exactly what he did. Notice the primacy of prayer here. That's the, that's the main thing. Prayer is of utmost importance. I don't want us to miss this. If we want these things, if we want the knowledge of God, if, if we want to be able to live for God and please God, we must be praying to God and asking God to, to reveal Himself to us and His truth and to be able to uh, live a life that is pleasing to Him. And we should be praying this for each other, right? And so prayer is of utmost importance and it is urgent. And notice the content of His prayer there. It's very spiritual. He prays for all spiritual wisdom and understanding, but it is also very practical. Now, both are important, but spiritual, I would say, is of most importance. For people that don't know the Lord, that, that's really where we need to go. We need to be praying for their salvation, praying for their souls. And oftentimes we're invited to pray for hardship in their lives, whether they've lost a job or are sick or, or something of that sort. And that's right and that's good. But really what we want to be praying is, is for their soul, for their heart. Because what we don't want is for them to be separated from God and to be happy and healthy in it. You know what I mean? And so oftentimes our prayer can look like, God, please use this difficulty to open their eyes and to draw them to yourself as you meet their provision and and as you're glorified in it, but ultimately, ultimately, Lord, would you would you please save them, you know? And and that's very important, spiritual prayers, spiritual prayers, because even as Christians, oftentimes we neglect this. It's it's all very practical, you know, praying for my neighbor's bum knee or or on and on. And again, those things aren't wrong and they're not bad, but we, we don't ascend into the, the heavenlies with our prayers, and so we recognize that spiritual prayer is important. And, and we pray for ourselves, God, please remove this difficulty in my life. Please remove this discomfort in my life. When oftentimes God has that in your life for a purpose, He's trying to use it to grow you, to teach you. And so we're trying to pray away the very thing that God has invited into our lives. So the spiritual prayer looks like God have your way God, do what you're going to do through this. Help me to endure up underneath this and to get exactly what it is you're trying to teach me. See, that's spiritual prayer. And that's the way that Paul prayed. And that's the way that we need to pray. And it is at the same time very practical. And we'll talk more about that a little later. So Paul prayed with urgency. And what was it that Paul prayed? Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, this word filled, it's used in other places to describe nets that are filled with fish and are actually bursting. That filled. It's also used of the Pharisees when they were filled with hypocrisy. And if you know anything about your Bible and you know anything about the Pharisees, you know those guys were filled to the brim and overflowing with hypocrisy. It's that kind of filled. And so Paul says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will bursting at the seams, overflowing, not starving for the knowledge of God, not, not just a little bit of the knowledge of God, but overflowing with it. And so here he specifically talks about God's will. 
And, you know, I'm going to talk about the knowledge of God's person and His will kind of interchangeably because they are very, very much tied together. And so I'll be going back and forth a little bit uh, in, in the language as we work our way through this. But here he's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, the knowledge of God's will. So when we talk about God's will, there's several things that we ought to know. And the first obvious one is that God does have a will. God has a will. He has intention. He has purpose. He has plan. He has desire. He has a plan. He has desires. Okay? And so know that. And God creating as He did, He did it with a purpose in mind, with a plan. He has a goal for it all. God's will is eternal. He's not just coming up with this as He goes. God's will has existed long before creation did. God is eternal. God's will is eternal. You know, God can't learn anything new. Did you know that? God is all-knowing. If He learned anything new, that would be to say there was something that He didn't know and that He has somehow grown. So God's will is eternal. That blows our mind to consider how that could be. But I take comfort in the fact that God's will is eternal and that God's will is perfect. God's will is always perfect. It is always what is best. Would you agree with me on that? Talk to me then. Is God's will perfect or is it not? God has a general will and a specific will. God has a general will and a specific will. There are many commands in the scriptures that apply to absolutely everyone out here right now. Every one of us. It's not, you know, one way for me and different for you. Those are God's general commands. And then God has a specific will, you know. He has very different plans for each and every one of us. And so recognizing that there are two different wills, if you will, of God, general and specific. God has a will of decree. And that is to say that what, it, what God has willed, it's going to come to pass. Nobody can stop it. I can't stop it. You can't stop it. This whole world could not stop it. You know, in um, Psalms 2, where it talks about nations rage against God, and God laughs at them in derision, that's because they can't stop Him from doing what He wants to do. He laughs. And so there is God's decreed will, but then there's also God's will of desire, and that can be resisted. That can be resisted. God's desirous will. That sounds kind of strange, but... You know, it says that God desires that none should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of His Son. But we know there are many who will reject the knowledge of Christ and will perish. And so that's not God's desire, according to Scripture. God's desire is that they would turn, but they won't. God has a permissive will. God will allow certain things to happen. It's not that He caused it. It's not that he desired it, but he allowed it to happen. His indirect permissive. God is not the author of sin or evil or wickedness. He does not tempt or cause us to sin. But God can at the same time use failures. He can use sin. He can use Satan himself to accomplish his purposes. Because he is absolutely sovereign, absolutely wise, and absolutely in control. And so God has a permissive will. You know, I don't want to be in God's permissive will. I want to be in God's specific, direct, perfect will. God's will can be known. It's not supposed to be a mystery. It's not something that's just being dangled out in front of you that you can never quite capture. And there are a lot of people who would present God's will to you that way, as though it's some kind of mystery, some kind of secret knowledge. God's will is intended to be known. God's will can be experienced. You can walk in God's will. You can experience it. God empowers us to do His will. And there's Bible verses for all, for all of these. I just, you know, that would double the length of my sermon. So, you know, forgive me. But, you know, God empowers us to do His will. And there is great blessing in doing God's will. I think about that with my, my daughter. You know, this takes on new meaning for me with small children. I'm looking at, you know, now my four-year-old, and I'm just thinking, you know, I desire to bless her. And it is well within my power to do so. I'm, I'm thinking that. I'm like, if you could just act right. Instead, you're just going to throw a tantrum and you're going to do everything I'm telling you not to do when I want to bless you. That's my heart. And it's like, just, you know, do what I say. Do what I ask. And it, it's yours freely. But no, 
And how often are we like that? You know, God's desire is for us, man. He wants to, to bless us. It will go well with us if we seek to do His will and to honor Him. It's well within His power to bless us. Well, Paul says, you know, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There in your text. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, in the English Standard Version, it actually says spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so it's not like there's wisdom and then spiritual understanding. They're both spiritual. That's important to know. We can fall into the trap of undervaluing the spiritual. I talked about that already with prayer. But Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. God is intent on blessing us in spiritual things, and that is of utmost importance, spiritual blessing, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. You know, we, we have plenty of worldly wisdom that's devoid of God, that is sinful, that is sensual, that is, uh, you know, worldly. There's, there's more than enough of that kind of wisdom to go around, and I think most of us in the lives that we've come out of, we're highly trained, highly equipped in that kind of wisdom and knowledge. You know, and that, that kind of wisdom sounds something like, you know, I want to marry this person, but I don't really know if we're compatible, so we should live together first, and we'll live together for a time, and then we'll see if we can really, you know, if we're meant to be or not. But that's not God's wisdom. It doesn't work that way. And God's wisdom is, is that you, you trust God, you commit your heart to this person, you work through the difficulties, you overcome that, you grow together, and you honor Christ, you know? And so that's spiritual wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And Paul prayed that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's what we need. And the Bible is slammed full of this, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But that's, that is what is so very important in the knowledge of God is, is spiritual wisdom and understanding. And spiritual wisdom and the knowledge of God definitely includes the knowledge of God's nature, His, His character, His attributes, His works. We need to know that. You need to know who God is and what God is like. That, that changes everything. It really does. Opposed to who you think God is and who you imagine Him to be like and, and maybe what we've made up in our own mind about Him. So, for instance, and it affects the way that we live. So, for instance, I'll just give you a couple examples. The Bible says God cannot lie. God cannot lie, and the Bible commands us not to lie, right? So, let's say you came out of a kind of a, a, a rough background, checkered past. You have some things on your record. You go to, to apply for a job, you know. You turn things around. You're walking with the Lord. You want to honor Him going to get a job now you have a choice what are you going to put on that application when they ask you what has where have you been the last couple of years or you know what are your reasons for being fired from past jobs or you know whatever you know the temptation is to you know just not say anything but what actually happened right but the truth is is that we can't do that as believers because our god is not a liar and he's commanded us to be honest right and so what do we do? We trust the sovereignty of God. We obey God, even if it means a potential hurt for us or a loss, seemingly. And we, we tell the truth. We do the God-honoring thing to be honest and to trust God. And Proverbs 21 one says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. If God wants you to have that job, that boss is not going to stand in the way of that. You know, that application is not going to stand in the way of that. Trusting a sovereign and supreme God and being honest. See, that's spiritual wisdom, and it's very practical, and that flows out of a knowledge of God's character, who God is and what God is like. You know, another one, the book of Hebrews says that it's appointed once to a, for a man to die, and then the judgment. It's appointed. There's a time. God has it marked out. Hebrews says that it's appointed once for a man to die and then judgment. Ephesians says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. You know, our birth, our salvation, our death, it is all in the hands of God. God determines that. And so we don't have to live this life crippled with fear. 
Because some some people, many people do. Paralyzed by fear. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? And it affects the way that they live their lives completely and totally. Not willing to take any risks. Not willing to take any chance. Not willing to live boldly at all for Christ in this life. You know, Jesus said, whoever seeks to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So knowing this, knowing that God is in control of it all, God has appointed all of this, and that Jesus has said if we try to cling to our life, we're going to lose it, but if we're willing to let it go, we will find true, meaningful life. Amen. Amen. Knowing this, we want to live boldly for God, trusting Him even with our lives. Amen. We want to live boldly for Him, and we can when we know this about God. When we know this about God, and we know what his word says. You know, we don't want to live recklessly. I don't want to tempt God. I'm not going to go jump off a building and say, God, if you're really with me, you'll, you know, keep me from getting hurt. You know, I'm not going to do stupid stuff like that. And people do do that kind of stuff, unfortunately. That's not what I'm talking about. Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Our God is a God who who gives us faith. He's a God who loves it when we walk by faith, when we live by faith. Therefore, we want to live our lives as habitual faith steppers, giving God an opportunity to show His glory through us and His guidance and provision. Some people live in fear that they're going to miss out on God's will, right? You ever felt like that way? Do you ever think that? I've missed out somehow. I've missed out on God's will. But the Bible says that God, as I've said before, will say again, He's in control of all things. He's sovereign. He works all things together for good. He doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't waste a thing. So we don't have to worry about missing out on God's will. There is no FOMO in the kingdom of God. You know that? Does anybody know what FOMO is? Yeah, fear of missing out. You're not going to miss out. You can't miss out. Okay? And so these kinds of things, these spiritual truths, these realities about who God is, what God is like, what God has commanded, really shapes our lives in a very practical way when we consider the will of God, that we grow in the knowledge of Him and His will, and we apply these things to our lives. And this is just to name a few. I could have went on and on and on and on about, about that, but I just want to kind of help, help you understand why this is so crucial and why it is so very practical. Well, how do we know God's will? This, this is really, I think, what most people are, are interested in, you know, ascertaining God's will. And I want to look at this from a slightly different angle. You know, first we need to distinguish the difference between the general and specific will of God, right? There is a difference, and we need to, to consider that. When I ask you, what do you think God's will is, it's very probable that the next phrase that pops into your mind is, for my life, for my life. Because that's, that's what we almost always attach to that phrase. What is God's will for my life? Am I right or am I wrong? I mean, do we not think that, say that, hear people say that all the time? That's not a wrong thing or a bad thing. But I would say to you and suggest to you that's a very modern thing. It's a very American thing. You know, um, we're all just destined for greatness. I mean, we just are. And God is going to do big things in our lives. And it's coming, you know. And so it's, it's just always that message. And I don't think that's the way that it was intended to be. I think, what is God's will, period? What is pleasing to Him? And how can I do those things? How can, how can I live my day-to-day life, mundane, just day in, day out, honoring God and blessing His name, doing His will? Not His will for my life, but just simply doing God's will in the day in and the day out. Now, God does have very specific plans and and a will for our lives individually without a doubt without a doubt the bible talks a lot about that you know it says that the man's heart plans his way but the lord directs his steps right 
And so we might have a lot of kinds, all kinds of ideas and notions about where we want to go and how we want to get there. But we're, you know, we could be running on a hamster wheel while God's carrying the cage. You understand? That, that's about what it amounts to. And I praise God for that. That's why I say you can't miss it. If you really want God's will in your life, if that's your desire, and if you love God and you're really trying to walk with Him and obey Him, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it, you know? Just, just breathe out, you know? Relax. Praise God for that. And so, you know, considering God's general will, I think that's really of much more importance in our lives. I would say without question, that's of most importance. This is the main thing. And the Bible is, that's, man, the Bible is slammed full of this. What is God's will for our lives first and foremost? Well, you know, just to name a few, a couple, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is that you rejoice that you pray without ceasing, that you are grateful, expressing gratitude. That is God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is our holiness, that we would be set apart, that we would be less like the world and more like Him. It talks about sexual purity, talks about controlling our bodies, not being given to the passions of lust, like the people who do not know God. For God didn't call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. See, that's God's will. God's will for us is Christ-likeness, that we would honor Him, that we would walk in the light, that we would walk in purity, that we would walk with Him. You know, that, that's really where it's at. And to be able to do that, we must be intimately acquainted with the Bible, if we want to be acquainted with His will. That's where it comes from. Because, man, there's all kinds of craziness out there about God. There is. It's all around us. And it breaks my heart so often when I hear people saying things about God, and I'm just like, man, how, how did you buy into that, you know? As we understand God's nature and commands and prohibitions, we can often apply those to various circumstances regarding God's will. You know, doors open. Doors open in our lives. God prompts our heart. God puts opportunities in front of us, and we filter those through what the Bible says. What's our motivation behind it? What's our motivation behind this? You know, and uh, you know, considering God's character and, and truth and how that applies, you know, there's so much that we can do in that of itself. You know, Pastor Todd was here um, about a month back and he was talking about this very thing. And he said, you know, people are, you know, I'm leaving liberal California. I mean, it's happening. I mean, there's this mass exodus, but why? Because God said so. You know, I mean, we, we, need, we need more light in this place. We don't need a mass exodus. We need people coming in with the truth, right? I remember when we moved here, my pastor, like the going away thing was like, most people are leaving California and these crazy people are going in, you know? And so um, nothing against California. Sorry, y'all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so... God has a plan. It is very practical, and oftentimes we can get there by applying spiritual biblical principles to it. You know, God often prompts our heart in many ways, and some of them are obvious, to give, to share the gospel, to serve Him, to obey His commandments. There's really no question there. But sometimes we may be prompted in, in other ways that aren't as clear. You know, and, and uh, sometimes people will say the craziest things. I mean, I wish I could give you some examples, but I just, I won't. But, I mean, some of the stuff that I hear that people say God told them to do, I'm just like shocked. And I'm thinking, man, no way. I mean, if you know what the Bible says about this God that you're claiming told you to do this, and, you know, you hear these kinds of stories all the time, and they really happen. People will say things like, you know, pastor, you know, God really wants me to be happy. I know this, so I'm leaving my family to be with this other this other lady. You know, because God told me to do that. You know, those kinds of things. People do do that. They will come up with all kinds of things and blame God for it. And when we know that that is not God's nature, that is not his character, that certainly cannot be 
his will. And so that's why we need to know the word of God, folks. The word of God is our anchor. That's the only way that we can know. When people are claiming that God told them something or led them in a certain way, uh, if it lines up with Scripture, then you can have some confidence in that. You know, when, when God is leading us, you know, what does His Word say about it? Getting wise counsel from people around us. Moving slowly. Praying about these kinds of things, you know. God will lead us sovereignly. God will lead us graciously. God will lead us with wisdom because he promised that he would give it to us, right? It says if you, if you need wisdom, ask of God and he will give it to you abundantly, generously. But don't ask doubting, don't ask wavering, ask believing, right? And so we have all of this. We have the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God's will in a general sense. God is leading us in his will in a very specific sense. As we filter it through the truth of God found in his word, he's leading us sovereignly. He leads us through good, wise counsel. We have this in God, and it's such a glorious thing, and it's such an important thing. We have to have it. You have to know God. You have to know Him experientially, personally, but you need to know things about Him. And as we spend our lives as Christians studying the Bible and learning more about this wonderful, awesome, amazing God. Amen? All right, well, that leads us to our second part of the text. Verses 10 and 11, this is the goal of the knowledge of God. So we understand we've got to have the knowledge of God. We must have it. But what is the goal of it once we have it? It is to live pleasing lives for Him. It's to live for Him. So notice in verse 10, it says, "...that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God." So first it says, that you may. Okay, so that tells us there's an expectation here. There's an expectation of action attached to this knowledge. I'm praying that you would be filled with this knowledge so that, that you may. And what is it that he is praying for them to do with this knowledge? He says that you may walk, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. So what does this mean to walk? It's a phrase that is, found multiple times throughout the scripture he says i'm praying that you would walk worthy of the lord well we find it in other places first john 2 6 says he who abides in him that is he who who abides in christ ought himself to walk just as he walked so we're told that we're to walk as jesus walked so there you have it there's the there's the answer to the question what does it mean it means to wear sandals and a robe and to imitate jesus's <laughs> posture and stride that's what it means. I'm just kidding. That's not what it means, obviously, right? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4.12 says that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing, that you may walk properly. Well, what does that mean? Well, he actually tells us in the verses that, that go before verse 12, it tells us that walking properly looks like loving one another and increasing in it. It looks like aspiring to lead a quiet life to mind our own business and to work with our own hands to supply our needs. That's, you know, in that particular text, what it means to walk, walk properly, to walk it out, to live it out. It's our conduct. It's how we carry ourselves. Christians ought to walk a certain way. People who are filled with the knowledge of God ought to walk, live, conduct themselves a certain way. And what is that certain kind of way? It's worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. That's how we're to walk. That can be a confusing statement. It might even cause someone to cringe a little bit. Wait a second. Worthy of the Lord? Well, 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says that you may walk worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we are to walk worthy of the gospel, worthy of God, worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling that God has placed on our lives. What does that mean? Does that mean somehow that we, uh, we deserve, we're walking in such a way as to deserve these kinds of things? 
Lord, I've, I have obeyed you. I am not worthy of the gospel. I'm worthy of the calling. I'm worthy of you, God. No, that's absolutely not what this means. John Piper says, I don't think that these texts mean that we merit from God or the gospel or our call, but that they merit from us. That is, to walk worthy of the Lord means to walk in a way that the Lord deserves from us, not in a way that we deserve from the Lord. Yeah, and so if you have called upon the name of the Lord, then walk in a way that is consistent with that. If you have believed and trusted the gospel for salvation, walk in a way, live your life in such a way that it matches that. See, that's the outcome of the knowledge of God. When you have a knowledge of the truth, when you are walking in the light, you're going to live a life that is consistent, that lines up with the one whom you profess to know, Christ, with the calling that has been placed on your life, with the gospel that you claim to love and believe. That's how Paul prayed that they would walk, worthy, Worthy like that. Worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. To walk worthy, fully pleasing Him. Notice that in the text. Fully pleasing Him. So here's the goal of the knowledge of God. To please God. To live for His pleasure. Okay? Now hear me. Listen. That is the goal of the knowledge of God. Is to walk with Him and to please Him. To live pleasing lives. It is not to look extra spiritual or to sound extra smart. Okay? That is not the goal of the knowledge of God, but to be pleasing to God. It's not our objective to be men pleasers. We don't live to please men at all cost. And we certainly don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be God pleasers, to please God. First off, we need to know, you need to know, that you can please God. God can be pleased. There are plenty of people in our lives who cannot be pleased. Try as we may, and I think we know that. But God can be pleased. And people might be quick to amen that, you know? It's a glorious truth. I was reading an article from a pastor that was teaching on this text, and he said that years ago... He was teaching this, and he, he said that, uh, you know, we can please God. And he got a hearty amen. And, you know, how many people believe that we can be pleasing to God? He said every hand in the place went up, 400 people. And then he said, how many of you believe that you are pleasing to God? And he said every single hand went down except an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. You know, what's, what's wrong with that picture? What's up with that? You know, we can please God. We get excited about the fact that we can please God. We just don't really believe that we are pleasing to God. We don't believe that God is pleased with us. That's a tragedy. You know, the Bible says that in Christ, we are pleasing to God. God is, is delighted when we are in His Son. This is one of the most glorious realities for the Christian. It's not because of me. It's because of Christ. Because of what Christ has accomplished through the cross. You know, he lived a life, the perfect life. The only man who has ever in this, in this world at any point in human history who has kept all of God's commands and has lived a perfect life. That man, the man Christ Jesus, who then died a death that he didn't deserve to die. He died a criminal's death. That's the death that we deserve, but he didn't deserve that. And then he took God's wrath there on himself on that cross, the wrath that, that we deserved. For our sin, the punishment that was meant for us was placed on him. Our sin was placed on him. And he absorbed all of God's wrath and he paid it in full. And our sins were removed, gone, once and for all, past, present, and future. Then Jesus Christ rose again from the grave, declaring victory over death and sin. And that his sacrifice was well-pleasing to the Father. And that we are now forgiven through faith in Christ. And we stand in Christ's righteousness. Christ works for us. Christ's death for us. Christ's resurrection. We are alive in Him forevermore. That is ours and that does not change. That cannot change. That will never change if you have trusted Christ for salvation. If you have said, Lord Jesus, I need you. I have sinned. 
You know, if I were to die today, I know where I would go. I would not go to heaven. I would go to hell because of my sin. Lord, would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my heart? I want to be born again. I want to live for you. I want to give my life to you and serve you with my life. You know, for the person who has made that kind of commitment and they have come to a true and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are in Christ positionally and God sees Christ when God sees them. So on our, on our worst day or on our best day, God's love for us does not change. That is such a wonderful truth. On my best day, God doesn't love me anymore. On my worst day, God doesn't love me any less. He loves me the same all the time because of Christ in me and Christ in you. And when you have that, you are pleasing to God. You're pleasing to Him. Now, without that, you can't please God no matter how hard you try. No amount of giving, no amount of serving, no amount of good deeds, no amount of anything is going to earn God's blessing in your life. You can't do it. You can't. The Bible makes that crystal clear. So apart from Christ, you cannot please God. In Christ, you are absolutely pleasing to God, and that does not change. And we praise Him for that. And I hope that you have that. I hope that you know Christ. I hope you've called upon His name. I hope you've trusted Him for salvation. If you haven't, you can right now, today. Well, it's a mystery to us that, you know, we are always pleasing to God, but at the same time, we can displease God. You know, the Bible says that. It talks about, in Ephesians 4.30, not grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's the difference. We can grieve the heart of God through our sin, through our rebelliousness to Him and to His goodness. He's not angry. His wrath has been poured out on Christ and it is gone. His anger is not hot towards you, but He is, has a heart of a loving Heavenly Father. And if we choose something other than God's best, God's will, it hurts God's heart. And can I tell you that that is a huge motivator to obey God and to walk with Him? You know, when you're having a conversation with somebody and there's friction happening and there's anger, accusation, judgmental, judgmentalism happening there, what happens? We tend to tense up and we want to reciprocate that, right? But when a person instead is, allows themselves to be vulnerable and they express hurt, I was hurt by that. You know, the tendency is to... to back down a notch and to you know proverbs says that a harsh word stirs up anger but a, a soft answer turns away wrath realizing that it's not the anger of god it's the heart of a loving heavenly father and we don't want to grieve him we want to please him amen so nonetheless we can live pleasing lives and jesus does enable us to do it hebrews 13 verse 20 says now may the god of peace who brought up our lord jesus from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We are made complete in him. He is working in us what is well-pleasing in his sight and making us able to do his will through Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. God gives you the desire to do his will and the ability to do his will for his pleasure, to be pleasing to him. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk. There's that phrase, how you ought to walk and to please God, how to please him. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, to keep Christ's commandments, to walk in His ways. That is well-pleasing to the Lord, and we can do that through the knowledge of God and the knowledge of His commandments through the indwelling Spirit of God. So we are to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, and bearing fruit in every good work. Fruitfulness is the natural outcome of the knowledge and pleasure of God. You're going to have a fruitful life. You know, apart from knowing God, my life was a wasteland. There was nothing fruitful about it. 
You know, but when you when you know God, when you walk with God, when you love him, he is truly able to make your lives fruitful in him. And fruit only comes from the spirit of God. Try as we may, we cannot make ourselves fruitful. We can't contrive it. Work as hard as you want to. You know, I, I heard it said that Benjamin Franklin would often make it his goal to to cherry pick one commandment and to spend all of his days, time and energy to to be able to do that one thing so that he could then say that he had attained to it on his own. You know, but it doesn't work that way because even if on a good day you're able to do it somewhat, you've probably missed a million other things, right? And so fruitfulness comes from God himself and it comes forth very naturally. And that's very encouraging to me to realize that all I have to do is walk with Christ. All I have to do is love him, adore him, seek him, serve him, be with him. He's the one that brings forth the fruit in my life. I don't have to make myself be good. I don't have to make myself be better or to grow or to be fruitful. God does that. All I have to do is be with him. And that's what God wants from us, folks. God wants us to be with him. That's why he's revealed himself to us. That's why he's given us the knowledge that he's given us of himself and of his commands. And then when we do that, we are fruitful to him and fruitful in every good work. So your service will be acceptable to God and blessed by God because you know God and you walk with God and you're pleasing to God. That's a great place to be. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's where we want to be. And he says, may you increase in the knowledge of God. So this, this phrase here, this knowledge of God, speaks more of our relationship to him. Not so much knowledge of him, head knowledge as it were, but our rela- relationship with him. You know, we certainly want to grow in our understanding of God, what we know about Him. But we also must be very mindful that we have to be with Him because there's plenty of people out there who are always learning about God but never really being with God. And that's a dangerous place to be. The two are very much intertwined, but it is possible to separate the two. And that's a very detrimental thing. Some people are all knowledge, no heart, all head, no heart. Void of passion and joy, all intellect, right? Other people can be all heart with no head. It's emotionalism, void of truth, which can lead to a very low view of God. You know, it brings God down. We, we remove all the glorious truth, all the glorious doctrines of God, and God is just now my buddy. Jesus is my homeboy, and really, He, he, he lives for me. You didn't know? He lives for the, for the pleasure of my will. And he's here to make my life great because I'm doing big things. Big things are coming, right? And that's, that's how we can tend to live. And so it's so important that we understand God truly as he is and that we're with God, growing in him. And we need to be increasing in these things. All right, lastly, verse 11, and we're pretty much wrapping up with this. So that you would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So that we would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Knowing God, pleasing God, being fruitful in God also means being strengthened in God. God's strength working in us. God's strength working in us. That's God's desire that we would be strengthened in him, that we would be rooted and grounded in him that we would be able to withstand temptation, false teaching in Him. You know, God is pleased with that. And God is glorified in that, especially because it's His glorious power working in us, right? God would have us to be strong in Him. God would have us to be stable, rooted, grounded in Him. That comes through the knowledge of God. That comes through maturing and walking with God consistently in time. And it's very pleasing to God. He's glorified as the source of our strength. And notice it's not just strength for the sake of strength. It's not so that we can just say, look at how strong I am. Look at how strong I am. Are you that strong? See, that's not, that's not what this strength is for. It's for patience and long-suffering with joy. God would have us to be rooted and grounded, solid and stable, strengthened, so that we can have patience and long-suffering. This word patience, 
It's a uh, hupomone in the Greek, and it literally means to bear up underneath this immense weight. It's crushing. But we're supposed to bear up underneath this weight and keep moving forward. My pastor used to call it dancing the hupomone, right? It's not God get this weight off me. I can't take it anymore. It's God help me to su- sustain me, to bear up underneath this weight in my life and to honor you and to keep moving forward with your strength. See, that's what's available to us through the knowledge of God. When we walk in a way that is pleasing to Him, His strength is working mightily through us for His pleasure and His glory so that we would be patient and long-suffering with joy. Now, see, notice these are God's attributes, the patience of God. God is long-suffering, but they're also fruits of the Spirit, right? Patience and long-suffering. The Spirit works those things out in us. So God is pleased when we live these things, when we walk these things out, when we manifest these kinds of things. It is pleasing to God. And when we do it with joy, as it says here in the text, not, not murmuring, not complaining. The Bible says that we're to do all things without murmuring. You know what the Greek word for that is? It's murmur, 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 murmur. <laughs> we're not, none of that, okay? None of that. Pleasing God, strengthened in Him, bearing up underneath immense weight, patient, long-suffering with each other, not doing it resentfully, not doing it begrudgingly, not doing it, I guess so, okay, fine. I'll, you know, I'll put up with that person. No, none of that. With joy. With joy. And that is a fruit of the Spirit. With joy. And see, all of this is ours in Christ. And that's God's desire for us, that we would know Him that we would come to a saving knowledge of Him through Jesus Christ, that we would be born again, that we would believe the gospel, that we would trust Christ, and that we would grow in our knowledge of God day by day in maturity. As we, as we grow, you know, we can know things about God as Christians, but not really know Him here. And so when the heat really gets turned up in life and things get hard, oh man, the ship is going down, it's over. But the Bible says that God has us and that God is carrying us and He will always carry us. And so God is in the process of connecting this to this. And so that's His desire, that we would grow in the knowledge of Him, that we would grow in maturity, and that we would walk in a way that is well-pleasing in His sight, and that we would be strengthened in Him with all joy. So the knowledge of God, if you don't know Him, you have to know Him. It's the most important thing in this life. If you don't know God, you have to know Him. He wants to know you. What more could God possibly do to prove to you that He wants to know you than the fact that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin, to die for sinful men and women? God paid the price. God initiated love. What more must God do to prove that He desires to walk with us in love? So to know Him and to grow in our knowledge of Him day by day through the Word of God. This is where it comes from, folks. I don't know if you're still memorizing Colossians. I had said a couple of weeks ago that I wanted us to do that, and I kind of forgot to, to mention that. But I, so far I've done chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. So uh, my goal is to go back and do 1 through 8 and then work my way through and memorize the whole book. And you can do that. We should do that. You don't have to do that. You could do a verse a week if you would rather. Just do something, Okay. <laughs> But look, we need the Word of God. We need the knowledge of God. We need to be taking it in all the time so that we can grow and be pleasing in Him. Amen? Is that not, that's the goal. What? To know Him and to please Him. The goal is what? Know, know Him and please Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to know You. There are some here who don't know You. They don't know You, God. They're outside of Your, your blessing. They're outside of Your peace. They're separated from Your love and forgiveness. But God, they can know you. Would you please, God, in your mercy, draw them to yourself, open their eyes and their hearts, and may they call upon your name. May they call upon your name and receive forgiveness and and grace and love and kindness. Father, for those of us who who have trusted you and, and do know you relationally, God, we want to grow in our knowledge of you always. To know you is to to grow in our love for you. and and our obedience to you. And would you strengthen us, God? We want to be pleasing in your sight. We want to walk worthy of you, Lord Jesus. 
being fruitful in every good work. You can do that, Jesus. Only you can do that, and you will do that, and you are doing that, and we praise you. By faith, God, we believe and receive that. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.